Welcome back to the Better Than Yesterday podcast. I'm your host, Angelo Kelly. This week, I am fired up to bring you guys this episode. This is another special guest we had on the show. I got to sit down and chat with a mental conditioning coach, Brett Paperni. We actually connected two days before we recorded this one, and it's something I definitely want to do going forward with my guests because we were able to develop a strong connection. I remember getting off the phone and I was telling some of my friends and I told my mom just what a powerful conversation I had. It's a really unique opportunity that I get to connect with people throughout the world from this podcast. And just looking back on a couple months ago, like I didn't think any of this was possible. And the, the, the possibilities really are endless at this point. I'm going to continue to to try to get on guests like this, try to get on, just have make connections with people who are who are really pursuing their passions, who are doing something unconventional, but really going for it. Brett was a Taekwondo competitor. He had his eyes set on the Olympic Games until he developed a rare disease called gastroparesis. I'll let Brett tell his story on the show, but it's very powerful. And we just got into how decisions and how you look at stuff can change your entire life and change your entire perspective. So I want to keep these intros a little bit shorter. I want to uh, give Brett the full opportunity to tell his story. And I know you guys are going to love this one. All right, cool. We are live. I am joined by Brett Paperni this week, a mental skills and uh, conditioning coach. So I'm excited to have you on the podcast and just pick your brain a little bit. Thanks for coming on, Brett. Hey, thanks for the opportunity, Angela. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we got connected through a mutual friend, Paige Henry, who I had on the podcast a few times. And yeah, I've just been really excited to have this conversation. I know we talked a little bit on Tuesday and I, I left that just just fired up, man. So I'm excited to just get into your story. Hey, cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get started. Uh, Taekwondo, your background in that. Yeah, so I, I trained competitive martial arts for the majority of my life. Uh, I started when I was like four years old. Um, and, it, you know, in 2006, I had an opportunity to go train with some of the best in the world. Uh, and this was in Beijing. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically stopped everything that I was doing and I said, forget it, let's go for it. I had, uh, I had a big goal and I was very ambitious, but obviously I had a dream to, uh, to make it to the Olympics. And uh, went to China and when I came back, I was actually, uh, wasn't feeling well. I was, I was 20, 23 or 24 at the time. I was probably in some of the best shape of my entire life. And uh, martial arts was the thing that I was doing every single day. And I just, I felt like I had like food poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who had food poisoning, it's, it's not pleasant and after about a week of the same symptoms, I was like, okay, this has got to be something else. So I went to the docs and they said, yeah, sure enough, bread's food poisoning, you know, drink a bunch of water, bananas, all that kind of stuff, stay hydrated and, and it should pass. And uh, two or three weeks later, and I'm not talking like, you know, getting better. It was, if anything, it was getting worse. Mm-hmm. So we fast forward and now the doctors are like, okay, well, we got to start running some tests. Let's figure out what's going on here. And I'm a guy who, like I said, I, I trained all day, every day. That was my profession. Uh, I took care of myself. I mean, I, I ate well, like we were on strict diets and everything. So having this kind of come out of nowhere was, was a bit of a blindside to not just me, but also the doctors and the people that I train with every day. So it was like, Hey, what's going on? Like, where are you at? And I was like in this dark space. Like, I have no idea. Like, I don't really have any answers. 
And um, doctors, after about two months, they're really like kind of scratching their heads. And now we have to run like different types of tests. And man, some of these tests are not pleasant, let me tell you. Um, so I, I couldn't train anymore after like, you, you know, about a month of this. Like I couldn't train at all. I mean, I had no energy. I, I couldn't eat. Uh, like I said, food poisoning symptoms are, are horrendous. I do not wish that upon anyone. Um, and it starts to mess with your psyche. So now, I mean, we're talking like three months down the road. I went from training two to three times a day, six days a week, you know, sometimes five, six hours a day to being bedridden for three months. Um, yeah, you know, it really, uh, really starts to mess with you. And I think we've heard stories about athletes or people that are, you know, have the ability to do the things that they love on a daily basis. And all of a sudden, if they get that taken away, uh, sometimes they slip into a dark place. And uh, man, I, I, I was there. I, uh, I remember talking to one of the doctors one day and he's like, look, Brett, we're, we're trying our best, but we, we really are unsure of, of what's going on. And now I'm talking to doctors and the doctors are telling me this to my face. And it's like, it's not like there's a little bit of hope here. Like I'm getting worse every day. And now these doctors are telling me like we don't know. And uh, it's terrifying, man. Like it's absolutely terrifying. So you fast forward a year and I'd lost about 40 pounds at this point. And I, I developed something called alopecia. So my hair started falling out in patches. And uh, I mean, like, dude, like a depression's an understatement, man. And, and one, of the, one of the moments I'll never forget, and it's almost like burned into my soul, is my family came in one morning to, uh, to check on me. And just the look on their face when they saw me, man, like, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like for them looking down at, you know, their, their, their son or could be like a loved one or a family member or whoever and to see them in, in that much pain, of course, they're trying to stay strong for me. But, man, that day I saw it on uh, I saw it on my mom's face and it, and it just ruined me, man. Like, it ruined me. And I realized, I'm like, man, now my state is hurting the people around me and I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, man, it, it, was, uh, it was a bad, bad place. So, about two years down the road and now, obviously, there's... <laughs> Like all the all the doctors and I had three different specialists tell me like, hey buddy, your your career is over. Like, mm-hmm. sorry, there's there's nothing we can do. Like, it, it ain't gonna happen. You gotta stop holding on to it. And and I was holding on to it from like a hope standpoint. Be like, you know what? I'm strong. I'm gonna fight back. I'm gonna get over this. Uh, I've tried a million things, even though I had no success. I was still trying to be positive, even while being in a dark place. And then when the doctors are telling me like, you gotta let go, man. Like, we're gonna try to keep you alive, uh, let alone trying to train martial arts at a national level. Like, forget it, right? So two years down the road, I get diagnosed finally with a, a rare disease called gastroparesis. And it's a, it's a delayed emptying of the stomach. So there's a colon on the bottom of your stomach. Basically, when you're, you, you, know, you eat, that colon opens up, slowly releases fi- uh, food into your digestive tract. But mine was like sealed shut. So anything I would eat, it would basically sit in my stomach and rot. And, you know, after a few days, hence the, the food poisoning symptoms, like it, it, it wasn't pleasant, man. And it pain, right? So I, that's why my hair started to fall out and my toenails, my fingernails were all breaking because I had no, no nutrients at all. Like, I mean, going from eating 4,000 calories a day to uh, eating next to nothing and, and being able to digest nothing, like it, it, it's not a good recipe, right? So they say, hey, listen, uh, we figured it out. And I'm like, okay, so now what? What do we do? And uh, to the doctor looks me in the face and he's like, well, Brett, there's, there's no cure for this disease. And I'm like, how did I get it? And at the time they couldn't figure it out. Uh, they said, you know, we're not too sure. Um, and there still is no cure for gastroparesis. 
There's mm-hmm. only supplementation through medication that can help in certain things. So then all of a sudden I turned into like a, a guinea pig. Let's try this. Let's try that. And man, it was a, it was a huge roller coaster, right? And one day, I like this is about two and a half years later after I got sick, I said, forget it, man. I had to get out of the house. And this is all 130 pounds of me. And I was 170, 175. Uh, so, I mean, you can imagine what I looked like. And I said, forget it. I'm getting out of the house. And I, and I walk down the street. And I go to the crosswalk and I go to um, push the button. And as I do, I, I push the button. I look over to my left and there's a uh, there's a boy and he's got to be like 15 years old. And he's in a wheelchair, man. And he's got no legs, dude. And uh, I remember looking at them, looking at him and he looked back at me and he smiled. And oh, my gosh, man, that was, that was the moment that changed my life, man. Um, it was such an epiphany and an eye-opening moment that I realized like I was looking at everything so wrong like here's a boy that is in a wheelchair and he's got no legs and he's looking back at me and he's smiling and I'm standing you know mm-hmm. like it's, it's uh man it, it just changed my moment so from that moment on I realized that that perspective how we choose to look at things is up to us man you know and I went from being depressed and angry and upset to feeling enlightened and grateful for for what I still have um, you know, man, that day on, it, it totally changed my life. I made a vow to myself that, that I control how I view things and I know how I view things reflects the way I feel because mm-hmm. in a moment I went from being depressed, Brett, not wanting to live to being so grateful. And, and now I want to go and explore the world and do things that I never thought I could do. And, and I'm like, man, I can do them still. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, it's, uh, that's, that's when my life started, buddy. Was there a point where you're going back into the doctor and they're like, wait, what changed? Like, could they see the transformation? Totally. Yeah, you know what? It was funny because uh, even a couple days later, I, I said to my mom, I came downstairs and she's like, hey, you, you look pretty good. And I was like, you know what? Like, mom, just, I was looking at it the wrong way. Um, like, I realized that I'm grateful. Like, there's there's millions of people that would still be die to be in my shoes, like to do anything, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah, and totally. we just, we take it for granted, man. So I think just the, the sudden shift in perspective had an, uh, had a, a real big impact on me immediately. And like I said, my family started to notice it. And then I said, you know, if the doctors are telling me no, and I was always that stubborn guy, especially man, my old man, geez, like if he, if he would say don't do that, I would just love to do it. Like that was just me, right? And the doctors tell me, no, you can't do it. And I'm like, you know what? I all of a sudden changed the way I felt with just a switch in perspective. What if, what if that... I was actually making myself even worse because I was in such a dark place mentally. I was making myself feel so bad and I progressively gotten worse. So if I shift my perspective and I start feeling better, what if I can continue to compound this? You know, and then I started doing more research about, uh, you know, nutrition. And of course, I thought I had a good understanding of what we should and shouldn't eat. I mean, everybody has a pretty good understanding. But then I started like juicing fruit and vegetables and I started just um, taking a whole new outlook and I started practicing meditation as well. And then all these things started to compound. And man, like a month later, I go into my doctors and and not kidding you. And I still talk to this doctor to this day. And he looks at me and he says, dude, whatever you're doing, like, don't stop. Like, mm-hmm. forget Western medicine aside, whatever you're doing, don't stop. And uh, man, it's like a, a huge boost of encouragement. Because now, not only are the outside people saying, Brett, you're doing it and you're getting results. But I realize like inside, I'm like, dude, I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. I say something to today. I say like, confidence builds on confidence, man. And, uh, and that's where it all started for me. Yeah. And what was that experience with meditation like? What got you started into that? 
Okay, so so at first I take this positive shift, right? So here's Brett after I, I did the crosswalk and I, I'm on this positive outlook and my martial arts master had ta- talked to me many times. He's like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to meditate. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, like I'm a fighter, man. Like, I'm not a meditator, <laughs> like, you know? And he's like, Brett, I'm telling you, it's it's a really good thing. And he basically said to me at one point, he's like, you don't have a choice. Like, I'm going to take you. And, and uh, listen, if there's one thing I can ever tell anybody that trains martial arts, don't cross your master. Simple as that. If he says you're going to do it, you're doing it. So uh, so he takes me one day. And, and at this point, I was still drinking coffee. And uh, I'm Italian. I like my coffee. So I have four shots of espresso. And here's Brett walking into this meditation center with a Starbucks with four shots of espresso in it. I'm like, great. Now I'm supposed to sit on a cushion and just kind of relax. And but I, I noticed something when I walked in there is that everybody was like super friendly, like super nice. Everybody was smiling. And I was like, why is everybody smiling? Like, everybody's like super, super happy. Um, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. Let's, I'm going to be here. Let's be here. And uh, I gave it a shot for a day. And geez, man, I never looked back. And it's incredible because I was already getting into a better place. But being around people that were positive and optimistic even compounded the way I felt. Yeah. So it was like this beautiful full circle experience where – I had some time just to kind of sit down and breathe, and and I mean the first little bit, it's mind's jumping all over the place, but uh, that's that's normal. It was more of taking some time for yourself. Like people say to me, "Oh, Brett, I still can't meditate," and I turned into to a teacher and I started teaching meditation, and I was like, you know what, you are meditating. Like whether it's your your sport or your passion or whatever it is you're doing, like those are all forms of meditation. And the way I explain it is is that is if you're taking time for yourself to just kind of let things settle whether it's reading a book or drinking a nice cup of tea, whatever it may be, that mm-hmm. all forms of meditation. It's just to, to let things settle down. Yeah. And if a few of the people I've talked to have been who are high performers or who have high stress at work or at home, they got multiple kids. No, no one really knows how to do this. And it's like just kind of sitting by yourself. That's, that's meditation right there. That's, that's taking care of yourself. So how are you urging people who are saying, you know, you know, I don't have time for that, or I, I can't get out of my own head? What, what do you tell those people? Yeah, and I think that's the most common thing. And I tell people that's okay. It's not about not thinking about anything. Like I'm sorry. Like I've practiced meditation for thousands of hours. I'm constantly thinking about something. Like it, it's not about that. And I think that there's an expectation set of what meditation is supposed to be like. Uh, and people mm-hmm. are trying to strive towards that expectation. And if you don't get it, then you, you're you're setting up a, a barrier for yourself. So mm-hmm. if you remove expectations uh, and understand that this is just going to be some time for me and actually physically say that out loud, like there'll be times I'm, you know what, I'm going to take a couple minutes here just for myself and, and just focus on my breathing. And uh, that's what it's all about. And I think that the more you do that and the more you have these moments of disruption where you say, I'm just taking a couple seconds for myself the more balanced we become overall. And uh, the biggest thing for me was was clarity, like mental clarity. Yeah. So, yeah, it really made me feel a lot better. And like I said, uh, I, I do this now when I work with athletes or CEOs or whatever it may be. I, 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 look, I make them track their day and I say, look at all the stuff that we've got going on. And if we're, we're constantly being disrupted, uh, you're starting this task and all of a sudden this comes up and that happens and, and now your open project list is huge. Like this can become overwhelming or all the notifications that we get on our phone and our email and all that stuff. And I was like, you know, if we if we just disrupt these for just a couple seconds here and there and take that moment to reset, it's almost like that that overwhelmed panic settles and we're a lot clearer to come back and say, okay, let's address these tasks first and prioritize what's what's most important and get it done. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So when we were talking on Tuesday, you brought up how you used to be in a corporate setting. I want to kind of dive into 
to how you got out of that? Like what pushed you out and to branch off as, as your own coach? Yeah, sure. So I, so let's go. When I when I came back after my illness, uh, mm-hmm. I started pushing myself a little bit. And I pushed myself in ways that I never pushed before. Because, yes, mentally my mind was there, but physically I wasn't there. But the, the, the cool thing is, is that as I was mentally in a better state, my body started to follow. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, first off, after those three doctors told me I'd never train martial arts again, they were wrong. In 2012, I was able to compete nationally. Uh, and I got bronze, which is still my favorite medal to date uh, because of, of everything that I'd overcome to get there. Mm-hmm. But so now I, I come down off the podium and I, I'm like, okay, well, everybody my age is now getting married, has kids, has careers, and here's Brett living at home with his family. And I'm like, great, now what do I do, right? So I, I jumped into the corporate world and that's where I learned a ton about people. And I got into a, a multi-unit management role. So it's a, you know leading people who are leading people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does, I realized it doesn't matter what level you're at, like when we're dealing with human beings, they're, they're filled with thoughts and emotions, man. And uh, everybody's got skills and talents and everybody's got these things that stand out. But at the end of the day, we're, we're all very similar. So I learned a ton about behavioral economics, behavioral people, like all the different skills uh, and how to coach and direct. And I, I thought back to the days when I was competing martial arts and I was like, you know, there's so many things here that changed the way I looked at things, changed the way I felt just by the way I thought. And I was like, it's, it's almost missing in a professional environment when it comes to athletics because I never had that I mean sure we had people that said you know you should do this or you should do that but I never had somebody that was like in my head actually coaching my mind on how I want to perceive things in front of me it was more physical training it was never really a lot of mental training so after a couple years in the corporate world and I was thinking back to the things that were missing in in my martial arts career I realized like maybe there's a bit of an opportunity here and uh I said, you know, if I don't do this now, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Uh, I had the chance to do it. And I was like, forget it. Let's just go. And uh, a year ago, I kind of branched out and I started with a few beta clients. And I was like, hey, look, does this stuff work? And and I got some incredible feedback. And, and then I compounded that. And uh, I've never looked back, man. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear. And I remember when, so I stumbled upon like mental conditioning I guess you would call it my junior year of college. I played baseball and I have never, never heard any mental, mental conditioning, anything like nothing. We always talked about training. We're in the gym. We're hitting off the tee. We're on the field practice. That's it. Like you're not doing anything else. You're not even think like once you leave the field, that's it. But so I started reading this guy, Brian Kane. I'm not sure if you heard of him. But he has he has a bunch of mental books. And I read this book called The Mental Game of Baseball. And just like what's what's between your ears before like before and after each pitch is that changed the game for me. So how are you relaying this to your athletes that I mean, just think back 10, 20 years ago, like when you were training martial arts, it was it was not a thing. Like, how are you relaying it to your athletes that this is something that you you actually need to do now? Yeah, and it's a great question. And uh, obviously, this is the first thing that I stumble across when I start working with an athlete. And I, the first thing I always ask them is, how many hours do they think that they've spent on their physical body? Mm-hmm. And it's countless, man, like yeah. thousands and thousands. And then I ask them, okay, how many hours do you think you've spent on your mental consciousness, like your mental awareness and your mental health, your well-being? And they kind of usually stare at me like, oh, I don't know, like, I don't know what that looks like, like maybe reading or like 
taking time for myself. And, and I'm like, just in general, and it, it's kind of very black and white. It's obviously going to be heavily weighted on, for the most part, their physical body. And I asked them whether it is in their sport. So, for example, I was working with uh, a power lifter recently, and I asked them, have they ever been into a place where they've seen somebody mentally go in their head and then fail a lift? And they're like, oh, I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, have you ever done that? And they're like, of course. Like, that happens to me all the time. And I was like, that's the mental connection that I'm talking about, that mental awareness. Yeah. And you see that we can be in the greatest physical place, like the greatest physical place. But we're never going to allow our bodies to perform at that level if we're mentally not there. Mm-hmm. And what I mean is, is that you may be able to, to, you know, to lift 500 pounds, but if your mind says, I, I don't think I can do it, chances are you're not going to do it. Yeah. Right? So th- there's, a, there's a huge opportunity um, with your mindset and putting your mind in the right place, which will then allow your body to perform at its maximum level. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that's what we're all chasing. Like peak physical shape is not going to come without peak mental state too as well. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's, there's a couple of things that I, I talk about with some of my athletes and, and even, even in baseball or any, any sport, there's been moments where you, you know, whether you step up to the plate and a thought goes through your mind and Mm -hmm. it may be just that split second and it can literally ruin everything. And I've seen it in athletes all in all shapes and forms, even, uh, I was working with a client who, who was cleaning up a barbell and that bar all of a sudden felt heavy. And in their mind, they say, wow, this bar is heavy. And they're supposed to jerk this bar over their head. And all of a sudden they're like, man, it's really heavy. And as soon as they start to dip, they've already failed the lift. Yeah. Even if they're physically capable of doing it, mentally, they've set up a barrier subconsciously that they're not even aware of. It's just like instantly like, oh, this is heavy. And yeah. done. So how do we change those subconscious thoughts? Yeah, you know that this is this is this is a big big process, and and I don't want to scare people away, but I think it starts to become uh, all starts with awareness, and the more we're actually aware of what we're thinking, the more we can realize that we can change how we feel. And and let me start with this: is like how we feel right now is a reflection of what we're thinking. So our emotions are derived from our thoughts. So whatever it is we're thinking is going to change our physical state. Mm-hmm. So whether it's conscious or subconscious our mind doesn't really know the difference. So whether we're consciously saying something to ourselves or something in the back of our mind is saying something, it's still going to affect our state. Yeah. So we need to become more aware of what's going on consciously and subconsciously. And there's a couple of exercises that I do this, but I think the biggest thing is is, is to kind of write things down, like throughout the day. Just keep a bit of a log. Like what are the thoughts that you're thinking? How do they make you feel? And then when you're, you're in a certain state, if you start to think things, whether they're Oh, I think a lot of positive things, they make me feel great. Or I think a lot of negative things, they make me feel not so good. It's about finding that middle ground and taking control of your thoughts. Because as soon as you can start to direct your thoughts to where you want them to go, then your physical state starts to change in a positive manner. And mm-hmm. that's why I say, I'm sure you've had days where when you're, you're going to play baseball and like you're on, man, like you're crushing everything. You're, you're playing like the best game. And I mean, those happen once or twice a year. But I guarantee you, mentally, you were probably in the best state when those days happened. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I remember um, I used to have this thing, this, um, like, wearable. It was called a whoop strap. Okay. And uh, it would, like, measure your sleep and recovery and heart rate and all that stuff. And and you, you would get a score when you woke up in the morning. And depending on how well you slept or what you did the day before – your recovery score would come up and it'd be lower if you trained really hard the day before. And I remember 
some days like I would I it would be game day and I'd wake up and it'd say I'm 31% recovered. And that's already in my mind that I I'm 31% like <laughs> yeah. and then I got to go and play a game where I should be 100%. So I think like yeah, that mental capacity is so so powerful. Totally. Totally. And I think that there's there's the external factor what people are saying to us and how we perceive the world in front of us and mm-hmm. then there's the internal factor of what are we actually saying to ourselves and that's why i say when you, you you know people have walked up to a barbell and they're like man i don't think i can lift this i tell you they're not going to lift it you know yeah. if you're saying to yourself okay i'm going to stick to my cues i'm going to give myself a direct action i'm going to tell my body what to do and my body's going to respond because i control my body and chances mm-hmm. are you're going to have a heck of a lot better chance of doing it no i'm not saying it all of a sudden bang you become some superhuman strength but I guarantee you that the more you practice your mental strength, the bigger translation it's going to have physically. Yeah. So what habits can we adopt to to get ourselves in that peak ready state? Sure. I think, again, the biggest thing is I'm going to say your awareness of what you're actually thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking throughout the day and how they make you feel? That That's your borderline start. And I, like I said, go back to your thing. If you're looking at this thing, you're saying I'm only 30% recovered. You know right away in your mind, you're like, if I'm only 30% recovered, how am I supposed to translate that to peak performance? Yeah. But how we choose to perceive this is one thing. We may be able to look at it and say, okay, this thing is only saying I'm 30% recovered, but I'll tell you one thing. If I look inside, I feel great. Like, I feel mm-hmm. fine. Okay? I know my body. I know what I'm capable of doing. I know what I'm going to do next. And, and that's really important. So how we, one, perceive what we're thinking, and two, how we direct that to where we want it to go. Um I think the other thing is, is that people sometimes miss is when I'm trying to, I'll I'll give you a real life example here is that if somebody outside says something to us, or we're going to compete against somebody and we see that person or that athlete and they're lifting way heavier than we uh, I've ever lifted, or they're throwing a ball way harder than you've ever thrown a ball. That also has a reflection on us. So if I'm seeing the best performance out there in a warm up. I might think to myself, dude, these guys are warming up like this. Like, I can't even do that when I push myself. I've already lost. Like, it's over, right? Mm-hmm. What they, what people forget to think about is um, if we're going to let external variables change the way we feel, what about the flip side of that? What if they're thinking the same thing? And I talked to uh, – I work with some great, you know, elite CrossFit athletes and, and like people like Paige as well. And I say, like, if we're in the warm-up area and they announce a workout – and if it's not something I'm good at, I might change my whole demeanor. Like I might be like, yeah. oh man, like, dude, I can't, like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Like th- this is not my wheelhouse. And then the competitor next to me sees that. What do you think's happening to them? Like, yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, it's, it's on. on. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to crush you. Right. So that's because of what we're thinking. But, and I'm not saying lie to ourselves, but what happens if they announce the workout and I say to myself, okay, listen, this is not my wheelhouse. But I know mentally I have the tools that I need to go perform. I know physically I've put in the work. I'm going to go out there and give them my best. I'm excited for this. I'm going to embrace every opportunity. I'm going to cherish this moment, and I'm going to go crush it. And I'm amped up. And now that same competitor is like, oh, man, what's with this person? Like, that must be their their expertise. Like, that must be their wheelhouse. Like, dude, mm-hmm. they're going to crush me. Same people, different perce- perspectives, man. And yeah. that changes our total physical state. And that's why I say that. Confidence builds on confidence, okay? And I'll, I'll reinforce it with this. Let's say we use this example of they announced this workout and it maybe isn't in my wheelhouse. But 
but I've spent countless hours in the gym. My mindset is great. I feel great. I'm in, I'm enjoying this moment and I'm confident in my abilities. I'm going to go out there and give it my best. And that's why confidence builds on confidence, which comes from certainty. And certainty is us doing something over and over and over. We're familiar with the gym. You're familiar with baseball. You know how the game works. You're certain that reinforces confidence. And this all comes back to our full mental control. So certainty comes from being in 100% mental control. So confidence builds on confidence, which comes from certainty, which comes from being in full mental control. And I promise you, when you're in full mental control, you can change the way you feel and ultimately the way you perform. Yeah. And with your athletes, especially the CrossFit ones, I, I'm o- I've always been interested in CrossFit, but like, how are you describing the difference between like, so you have that workout that's not your wheelhouse and you're saying, you're saying to yourself, like, I'm, I'm going to crush this. I'm, I've trained for this, but how do you describe that? Like the peak that you can do your peak potential over winning? Like, is there a balance there? Yeah. So are you saying like basically the difference between, um, I'm only physically capable of doing so much and then yeah. the difference between that winning. Okay. So here, here's a great example of what this works like. And I think this goes back to us being aware of what we're thinking and how we choose to allow it to affect us. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we think something and it makes us feel a certain way, maybe there's an advantage in there that we're missing, but sometimes we got to look for it. I was training with an athlete one day and, uh, we were physically training together and I asked him something and I was like, I have a question for you. If we were to, just put this all aside and we're going to do an assignment together. Okay. And this assignment's going to be in one week's time, we're going to pick uh, a topic for the other person that knows nothing that we don't know anything about it. Okay. And we're going to study for one week straight. Who's going to win when we have to come back in a week and present these topics. And the athletes instantly was like, well, obviously you're going to win. You're suggesting this for a reason. And I was like, well, but like, why, why would I automatically win? Like, what if I'm the worst studier in the world? Yeah. And they're like, well, I mean, I don't know. I'm like, like, for example, I'll give you soccer. You don't know anything about soccer. I know nothing about ballet. Okay. I'm going to go study ballet. You know, ballet. I know soccer and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I, I, again, I, I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. And I was like, well, cool. Hold on a second. Um, you've already given up and lost. Like what happens if I'm the worst studier in the world and you, you've already basically thrown in the towel. You're thinking I, I can't beat you. Right. Yeah. But what are you good at? And I asked them, they're like, well, I do know if you said, let's study this for like an hour, like an hour straight right now, I would crush you. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. So you know that you're going to lose in a week, but if it's for one hour, you're guaranteed you're going to beat me. And she, the bathroom was like, yeah, I'm going to crush you. And I said, well, what if I'm the best studier in the world in an hour? And they were convinced it didn't matter how good I was. They were going to beat me. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if you were to do that four times a day for a week? And they instantly were like, um, you're done. I'm going to beat you. And I was like, nothing changed. Yeah. Nothing changed. The only Just thing fine. that changes. Yeah. The only thing that changes is how you choose to look at it. You, you basically said, I'm really good at this. I'm going to do it like this, devise a plan and execute it. And like I said, what happens if I was the world's best competitor for one week of studying? It didn't matter anymore because they believed that they could beat me. And I guarantee you the chances of them beating me are going to be a heck of a lot better. And they probably would because I'm terrible at studying for a week. And if I go in with that mindset, it's not going to translate to results. And that's why they would beat me. Yeah. So what's the biggest lesson you've learned as a coach so far? Oh, man. (laughs) Okay, so there's a ton of lessons. And I think the the biggest and most important thing that I go back to every single day is that um, emotions are very powerful. 
All right. And I think that uh, a lot of people know and, and they're they're aware that, sure, I mean, sometimes we can feel really sad one day and sometimes we feel happy and and all that. But I think that the biggest lesson that I've learned is that people control their emotions with their thoughts. OK, and I said it earlier, but I cannot stress this enough. If if we have certain expectations of people or external variables that we can't control, uh, we're setting limiting factors or limiting barriers. All of these things are going to translate into negative emotions that we've created ourselves. All right. And I think that uh, it doesn't matter whether it's athletes or CEOs that I'm working with. We are all human, and the, the number one thing that this always comes back to is your mental ability to separate facts and emotions, because in between that is your sweet spot, and that's the truth. Looking at things as they are, not making them worse than they are. And I and I use an example, and I heard I've heard this story a ton of times. Tony Robbins said this once. He says, "I'm not talking about um, you know po- the power of positive thinking. I think positive thinking is great, but not into the point where you're going to lie to yourself. It's like." Yeah. If you have a garden outside and it's filled with weeds, you're not going to sit there and be like, okay, there's no weeds, there's no weeds, there's no weeds, and then open your eyes and there's weeds, right? But what we do control is how we choose to see the weeds. And amongst these weeds, maybe there is beautiful flowers or tomato plants or whatever it is. Yes, there could be weeds there, but if we're just staring at the weeds, then we're not looking at everything else. And I think that is so, so crucial and so important that we control how we choose to look at things, which is ultimately going to control how we feel. And if if we are in full control of our thoughts then we control how we feel. And and again, I, I can't stress this enough. And that's that's the biggest lesson that I, I learned uh, throughout my journey so far. And it's something that I have to reinforce every single day. Yeah, I love that. And and we kind of got into it um, on Tuesday, just just the way I've been looking at stuff at, after quitting my job. It, it I've chose to look at a lot of the negative things. And then when I kind of take a step back and just realize all the all the good stuff that's happened to me, all the great connections I've made, all the amazing conversations that I never would have had, I'm doing it. And it's like, I can choose to look at, I'm losing out on money, I don't have vacation time, I don't have health benefits, but like, what am I, what am I getting from all this? Totally, man. I told you, and that goes back to that moment when I saw the boy in the wheelchair. And like, yeah. it, it was such a shift. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm looking at this entirely the wrong way. And I think there's this preconceived notion of what the world expects us to be like. And social media set these expectations. And I think that these are are becoming limiting barriers and limiting factors to what we're actually doing. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I always say people, in order to get what you really want, you must first know who you really are and then be that person. And that goes back to what you want to do in life, not what somebody else wants you or expects you to do. My, my whole family's in real estate. Mm-hmm. I ain't a realtor. Right? <laughs> you know, and, and that's why I say it's so important to do what you want to do for yourself and choose how you want to look at it. Yeah. How do you think we build the self-confidence to, to actually believe that, though? Because you can say, you know, I want to I want to be, be whatever. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a CEO. But how do you not trick your mind, but how do you really get your yourself to believe in that statement totally, that you okay. want to do this? Yeah, yeah this is good. And, and I think you're a great example as well, but we'll, we'll go here for a second. So we're looking at the garden, right? It's, it's got weeds <laughs> in there. It's got some flowers. Maybe they're dying. I don't know, right? But it starts with our perspective, our perspective how we choose to look at things. And mm-hmm. then if, if we decide that we're going to set up this task and, and start our business or whatever it may be, you got to make the tasks measurable. 
um, and let's say if we're going to start on a start a brand new business and we're going to start doing some research. So uh, if we said, okay, well, I, I need to get some more data, so I'm going to start reading some books. So if I just said, don't say I'm going to read a bunch of books, um, okay, cool, and I'll just kind of get to it and I start reading some books eventually, mm -hmm. right? It needs to be specific and measurable. So if mm -hmm. I say to myself, hey, listen, I want to read three chapters a day or one book a week. Now I start to measure this, I can see progress as opposed to just, oh, I should just read some books. Mm -hmm. So if it's specific and measurable, then you can see that you're actually making progress. It's like anything. If somebody wants to go out and get a job and they say, okay, well, I'm going to apply for a bunch of jobs and they kind of go to Starbucks one day, they're all amped up. They apply for a bunch of jobs, drink some coffee, go back home, watch some Netflix and who knows in the next couple of days they're hanging out with their buddies and they haven't heard anything back from these jobs that they applied for. And now they're in a bad state. They're like, oh man, I applied for a bunch of jobs. But if they were to actually look and say, I'm going to set myself out to apply for 20 jobs per day, every single day. And then they do it. As soon as you hit that 20 for the day, there's a level of satisfaction there, man. Like you're, you're building confidence. Like I set myself up to a task to do it and I did it. And then the next day it compounds. When you do it again, it compounds. And then again, it compounds. And I guarantee you, you're going to have a lot better chance of getting a phone call back as opposed to getting stuck on social media or watching Netflix or hanging out with your, with your friends. Yeah. So, to start, man, it has to be specific. It has to be measurable. As soon as you start booking wins, bigger wins come. But yeah. you got to book the first win, man. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that especially in today's age, like getting getting started and getting that first win, I think, is the hardest. Totally, man. Totally. But I love how you say confidence builds confidence. Like, yeah. I Like, I've totally seen that. And, and to, but to describe that to somebody who has – no idea what we're talking about is pretty difficult, though, don't you think? It, I, again, I think it has to be relatable to them. So mm -hmm. what, whatever their niche is or whatever they're trying to do, a lot of people are naturally programmed to, to find the negative or look at it from a detrimental standpoint. And mm -hmm. I think that there's still wins in there. Like that, I go back to the garden, like, oh, there's, there's filled with weeds. Yes, but there's still flowers there, man. Yeah. Like, there's still tomato plants. I, like, whatever it may be. Like, you, you guys just have to open your eyes and, and stop looking at just the negative. There's still wins in there. Yeah. One of the things that you say is, is I really love, and that's uh, failing is not failure. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Oh, man. So, t so here, here you go. If um, those three doctors 12 years ago, whatever it was, told me I would never train martial arts again in my life. All right. And if I believed them, okay, wholeheartedly believed them, and I was like, they're right, I would have given up. Mm -hmm. And that's failure. Yeah. And when I talk about failing, and I, I actually refer to failing as a gift because failing is learning. Like, how many times do you think about when, when you were a baby trying to learn how to walk? Okay. Yeah, like, you fall. You fall, you fall man. All the time. You walk, you fall. And if your parents were like, oh, you know what? He's a failure. He's not going to walk. Like, and they just gave up on you. I mean, you, you got to understand that these have, it, that's a, maybe a rash example, but, but it's the same thing. And if, if you look at something as opposed to just entirely giving up, that's failure, but failing is learning. And if you, if you make something measurable and specific, like I said, like uh, about the 20 resumes a day or whatever it may be, or whatever it is in your, in your niche, if you want to, uh, you know, grow this podcast, then you got to make something specific that you can do every single day that you can see the progress. Even if you make mistakes along the way, which mm -hmm. is learning, which is failing, there's yeah. still massive lessons and there's progress, man. And then progress reinforces your confidence. And that's where confidence still bids on confidence. Um, again, failing is a lesson. Failure means you've given up. Yeah. 
Yeah, and like, how many people just give up after that first failure? And that's that first what I time about, they face adversity. Yeah, that's why I talk about about external expectations or what the society seems us to or what expects us to be, or it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's in business or in athletics. If you go out there and you crank it the first day and you just say, "Forget it, I'm done," man, that's failure. Like, yeah. really, that's failure. Yeah, that's why that yeah, it's wild. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I want to know um, what resources, what books are you recommending or podcasts to any of your athletes or CEOs, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, an abundance. I mean, the, the Champion's Mind is an incredible book. There's a book by Tim Grover that uh, I reference and speak of all the time. Relentless. Relentless, right. exactly. Yep. I, uh, I have to absolutely hand it to him. And, that, um, and being somebody, when I was in the corporate world, I, I had a great success uh, working with people I was always pushing myself to find a better way. And then I found this book and, uh, man, it made me realize like even after compounding and all the success I had that it, it, it makes you open up and realize that there's still more you can do. Mm-hmm. It's uh, relentless. Tim Grover says it best. He says, um, the, the greatest thing is to demand more from yourself than anybody else can ever expect. Mm-hmm. And I think that statement really solidifies the people that, um, take success to a whole new level. Awesome. Yeah. And then where can we find you? What if people want to work with you? Where can they go? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm on uh, all of our social media uh, at Van City Brett on my website, vancitybrett.ca or .com. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm easily accessible. I'm around for sure. And uh, like I said, I had a great opportunity to do a TED Talk, a TEDx Talk, sorry, and, um, you know, work with some of the greatest athletes in the world. And, and I'm just going to say this, man. A year ago, when I decided that I'm going to do, I was going to attempt to do or do this, there was a choice that I had to make. I said, I can do this and go have fun with it, um, which was like a hobby, which is totally cool. And and I, it kind of started that way. But then I said to myself, after a few weeks, uh, a message from my dad. And he said to me, uh, when I was about five years old, he said, if you're, if you're going to do something in life, do it 100% or don't bother doing it at all. Mm-hmm. And that message like hit me like a ton of bricks just over a year ago when I started this and I realized I was like, he's right. If I'm going to do this, why don't I do this? Like, why, why would you want to watch something that's half-assed? Like, what, do you want to go to the movies and watch an okay movie or do you want to watch a great movie? Yeah. Like, do you want to read an okay book or do you want to read a great book? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that applies to life. Like if you're going to do something, do it to your absolute best because if you don't, man, you're robbing the world of your gift. And, and man, that's so important. And that resonates to me. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Brett. I really appreciated this conversation. Uh, It was a pleasure. Likewise, thank you for the opportunity. And that's a wrap for today's episode. I think that was an awesome one. I really enjoyed the conversation with Brett. Make sure to head over to his social media. Follow him on Instagram. I'll leave a link in the description for his TEDx talk. I really enjoyed watching that one. And yeah, I just appreciate all you guys listening. Make sure to give it a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Remember, they are going to drop every single Monday at 5 a.m. going forward. So I'm just looking forward to connecting with you guys in all of 2020. Make sure to share the podcast on your Instagram story if you liked it. That helps me out a ton. It helps me get into new audiences and helps uh, me get seen by other people. So I just appreciate all your guys' support. Thank you so much. Uh, Have a great week. And I feel like I need to sign off at some point, but... 
I don't really have one. I'm just going to say take care, and I, I hope you guys really enjoy your week. I hope you took away something from this, and I will talk to you guys on the next one.